Welcome to Playing Big, a podcast about what it means to play big in life and in business, and about changing the world with big ideas and big action. I'm your host, Blaine Fyan, Chief Evangelist here at True Footage, and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to Playing Big. We're going to start this episode off with a couple quotes from the great Tony Robbins. Well, I'm going to give you one now, and I'll give you one later. And if you don't know who Tony Robbins is, well, I'm sorry. Just Google the name and you will instantly know by, of course, the teeth and the voice and the size and the late night infomercials and the seminars and the Netflix special and the books and, of course, all of the advice. Some people love him. Some people hate him. Some think his advice is harmful, while many others say it is because of his advice that they've turned their lives around. I personally have quoted Tony Robbins in many of these episodes. I've read a bunch of his books. I used to have the tape course that he sold on the infomercials from probably 20 or 30 years ago because I learned from everybody. And I think overall, he's a good teacher with a lot of good advice for a lot of people. Nevertheless, the first quote that I'll open with and share with you is this. The quality of a person's life is most often a direct reflection of the expectations of their peer group. I'll say it again. The quality of a person's life is most often a direct reflection of the expectations of their peer group. He didn't say the quality of a person's life is often a direct reflection of a person's peer group. He said of the expectations of their peer group. Now, this quote is not mind-blowing. It's not life-changing in and of itself. We've heard this from others throughout history in a variety of forms, down through the centuries. The Stoic philosopher Marcus Aurelius, one of the greats, taught us, as the same fire assumes different shapes, when it consumes objects differing in shape, so does the oneself take the shape of every creature in whom he is present. He was telling us what the great Jim Rohn told us. We will become the average of the five people we surround ourselves with. Hang out with people who value a particular thing, and you will likely start to find value in that thing as well. Robert Sutton, author of the book The No Asshole Rule, told us, be careful who we surround ourselves with at work. That's what that book was about. Because we will become like them, they won't become like us. He's essentially saying, be careful who you surround yourself with at work because the five of them will have more influence over you than the one of you will have over those five. And this is age-old wisdom. It's not unique to Tony Robbins. He's just echoing the wisdom that he studied over his lifetime, just as we do. However, All of the advice that I've ever read or listened to from all sources of wisdom, in my opinion, this one has to be in the top five, maybe even the top three pieces of advice. Again, in my opinion, you could get some advice from a wealthy person, say, on how to invest your money to make millions of dollars. But if your peer group, the ones who have the most influence over you and their expectations, if your peer group isn't supportive of that type of endeavor, it's not to say it can't be done. Many people have in spite of their peer group, but it will be very difficult to venture down that that type of path and stay the course for the time that it takes to experience some kind of growth and success. Our peer groups have a tremendous influence on who we are, but more importantly, our peer groups have a tremendous influence on who we are becoming. I talked in previous episodes about about your arc of activity and who you're becoming. Now, I've told stories on the show about my time at our family's ghetto grocery store and kind of how that shaped my life, the adventures, the life lessons. And and it had an enormous impact on the trajectory of my own journey because I realized at some point, I mean, I was 
from age 16 to 20 or so was the most influential point. And I realized at some point that my peer group had consisted of two different worlds. I had my friends that I had grown up with. And then I had, and I'm using air quotes here, my friends that I met while working at the store, people from that neighborhood. And the problem was that I had begun to hang out more with the friends from the neighborhood, which was a pretty rough group of characters from the store, than I was hanging out with the peer group of my childhood friends. I was growing up in a different way. And it was only after being involved in a very serious, almost fatal shooting incident where the guy I was with after hours at a place I shouldn't have probably been, who just happened to be standing right in front of me at the time, was shot in the face. And it was then that I realized I should probably take a good hard look at who I was surrounding myself with and where I was hanging out because it wasn't headed in the right direction. And of course, I did. Almost immediately after that incident and once all of the investigations died down, I started to really think about where this, again, arc of activity was eventually taking me and I made some changes to start hanging out with a group of friends that I had grown up with, a, bunch, a much more wholesome group, let's say. Still friends with most of them today. Uh, and and, and they, were, they were all on considerably safer paths in life. That I can say for sure. Now, as we move through life, we will find ourselves in different groups of people. If you're lucky enough to still have some of your childhood friends like I do, you will probably find, like I have, that even then they aren't necessarily the people you would choose to hang out with today. Given all of your experiences in the context of your life and all of your knowledge, you may choose differently. We keep them around, or they've kept you around, simply because they had some of the first influences on you as a young person. You had your first important experiences with these people. You grew up together. There's an assumption that you have shared values as well, but not, not in all cases. And of course, those change, those diverge as we get older. Different political views, different religious views, different business views, different views on finance, on relationships, so on and so forth. Now, of course, we don't judge them or continue to be friends with them for what they do for a living. We like them for who they are as people. We know them to their core. Where our peer group becomes much more important is as we're trying to grow and expand in some direction. We're trying to make some money moves, so to speak. If we find our peer group is holding us back in some way or limiting the choices we know we should be making, this is when we might start putting some distance between some of those people. And in fact, we can probably all list a bunch of people, names of people, who if we ran into them somewhere, we'd... We'd be friendly. We'd love to spend some time catching up and learning about where life has taken them. Maybe go grab a Starbucks. But we wouldn't necessarily invest any more time than that. It'd be like, once a year's good. We caught up. I'm good till next year. In fact, I have a few friends that are this way. We see each other around Christmas time, and it's good. We're caught up. We're good. Now, we can also list names of people we were once good friends with that at some point simply stopped being that for us for whatever reason. Doesn't mean we hate each other or that we're enemies in some fashion, just that the relationship wasn't working for one of the parties. Maybe we just drifted apart and the relationship potentially morphed into what I call a non-friendship. I don't think a lot of people think of it this way, but I've had uh, time since my divorce really to think through these issues as you lose friends. And I just call them non-friendships. They're more of what I call now acquaintanceships. They became people you once knew and valued, but they are now simply Memories. They are people who had an effect and an impact on you. They shaped who you are. They're just no longer around. 
They're simply memories. Why? Because the quality of a person's life is most often a direct reflection of the expectations of their peer group. That's what we were told. And when those expectations change, so should the peer group. That's the way it works. Now, what I'd like to leave you with in this episode is the importance of intentionally developing what I like to call an ecosystem of empowerment or an empowerment ecosystem, whatever your preference is. Without deliberate and intentional cultivation of an empowering peer group, you are leaving, literally leaving your future up to the expectations of your peer group. Now, with that in mind, I want to give you five things to think about when it comes to building an ecosystem of empowerment or an empowerment ecosystem. The first thing, number one, to consider is the question, who do I want to attract? Meaning, what kind of person do you ideally want to be around? Just like a goal and intention setting in your life and business, we've got to set goals for the type of peer group that we'd ideally like to have. What kind of peer group do you want to have? What is the ideal? What do you aspire to? I've said many times on the show how for the longest time I aspired to be in rooms and groups of people much smarter and more ambitious than me. And thank goodness that's come true many, many, many times. Wonder of wonders as I look back over the people that I've had the great fortune of calling friends, mentors, peers, those aspirations have come to fruition over and over and over again. Why? Because that was my intention. I set that intention early on. I don't remember why. Probably all the books and things. I've always been into reading success books and business books. Very rarely was I reading fiction books. Not that that's a bad thing. I just was always attracted to how can I be better tomorrow than I am today. What I know is that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to be in the company of many of the people that I had had I not had an intention to be around that caliber of individual. And of course, over time, by the way, as I learned, the caliber grew because I had different expectations. But you've got to ask yourself the question, who do I want to be surrounded by? What kinds of people do I want to be influenced by? What would I ultimately want my peer group to look like if I got to choose them? You know, when you're growing up quite often, you don't really get to choose your peer group. They're your neighborhood friends, the the kids you play kick the can with and ghost in the graveyard and whatever else, and they become your peer group. But then as you move out, you get to kind of choose. Do I want to be friends with my neighbors or do I want to be friends with these people or my mastermind group or the people I work with? Are they positive people? Are they negative people? Are they people making a difference in the world? Are they doing and treating others the way you would? Are they wealthy people? Are they giving people? Are they people comfortable with their circumstances? Are they people who push themselves? You have to ask these questions. For example, if you decided you want to start running marathons, I don't know why you would, let's say you did you would most certainly have to give this idea some thought because that type of challenge, physical challenge, mental challenge, requires having a positive, empowering peer group of people who also push themselves. Maybe not that way. They don't all have to be marathoners, although that would help. It's called an affinity group, people who do just the same thing as you do. You can share best practices and whatnot. But at least people who push themselves in that way. It doesn't mean you have to quit your Sunday bowling league or your Thursday night dart league. But if you're serious about marathons, you are eventually going to need a new peer group that values those kinds of endeavors and will support you in that effort. And in fact, the more serious you become about it, the more you may have to find a whole different peer group because you find that you have less in common with your bowling and your darts friends over time. That's just a natural progression. 
you still like them. You're still good friends. It's all good. You just find you have less and less in common over time. They love drinking beer, smoking, and eating shitty bar food every week while you're in the process of cleaning up your diet, putting out the cigarettes, stop drinking alcohol, and you're running 70 or 80 miles per week. And you've got to decide and get clear on what kinds of people you want to be around. And then you got to write it down. That's step one. Decide. Set some intention. Set a goal and get a vision. What do you want your peer group to look like? Step two of the ecosystem of empowerment building process to decide is to decide what kind of person you need to become to attract those kind of people into your circle. This is a big one. First, you have to set an intention. You have to be deliberate about it. You have to write down what your goals are. What do you, you know, what's your aspiration for the type of peer group you want? Then you have to decide what type of person do I need to become to attract those kind of people into my life or into my circle. And once you have a clear picture of the kind of peer group you'd like to have, it is paramount that you then figure out what kind of person you must become to not only attract more of those kinds of people, but also to be welcomed by those people into their peer group. It's one thing to say, oh, I want to be around millionaires. And then you, you, you find some millionaires and they go, well, sorry, you're not the caliber of person that we want in our investment group. You have to become somebody to be welcomed into that group as well. Keep in mind, let's use the marathon example. Keep in mind that people who run marathons, people who want to be better tomorrow than they are today, people who want to increase their health and wellness, people who want to say advance in life and business, people who want to grow their wealth, they have standards. Most likely they're goal setters, but they have standards. You see somebody at the gym with a phenomenal physique and you think, wow, I'd like to be like that someday. Well, guess what? They most likely have a peer group that thinks and acts like they do in some way. It is extremely difficult to build anything in life if you are surrounded by people telling you it cannot be done. It's too difficult. You're wasting your time. You've sold out. Oh, that's a big one lately. You're no longer one of us because you don't have time for bowling and darts and beer anymore. You think you're better than us now and so on and so on. The low-hanging fruit goes. Those, by the way, those people... Those are called anchors. Sometimes I call them crabs. I've talked about anchors and sails in your life. Anchors weigh you down. Sails help you soar. Think about a sailboat. Crabs, crabs are notorious for pulling the ambitious crabs back into the bucket. Watch a group of crabs in any kind of container and what you see are a group of animals who walk all over each other in pursuit of their own desires, whether they be food or escape or whatever. And then they latch on to any single crab trying to make it out of the container, thus pulling that crab back to the bottom. Now, I don't want to anthropomorphize crabs and give them human qualities of intention and reason and motive. I don't think they pull their crab mates intentionally back to the bottom of the bucket. They're just hanging on. They, they see a crab above them, they go, ah, and they grab onto the crab above them, probably hoping at some level, if crabs can hope for anything, but they're hoping for some le- some some level of a free trip out of the bucket. I don't think they're doing it intentionally like, hey, get back down here with us, but that's what we see. And so we call those people crabs. Crabs are people who are constantly pulling you back into their circle because for you to leave, the quality of the circle goes down. And so they they call you names and, oh, how dare you think you're better than us leaving our circle and who are you to do such a thing? And they will try to pull you back. And people who are weak of character unfortunately can be influenced by that. So after defining what you want to attract and what type of peer group you'd like to have, you've got to define who you need to become 
to be welcomed into that type of peer group. That's the second step. The third step in this process is where many will stop because it is far too difficult. The third step is where you have to start letting go of the anchors, the crabs, and the negative relationships. This is really tough, folks. It sounds harsh depending on who those people are to you. I mean, some of them could be family. Some of them could be lifelong friends. But it is an absolute must if you're going to grow and start attracting the type of peer that you're aspiring to. You can't be that kind of high-level peer to somebody else if you're surrounded by people always feeding negativity into your life. You'll end up being the one always needed to be lifted up by your new peer group, and you will rather quickly empty the bank account of respect. What is the bank account of respect? Well, like any relationship, there is an account, so to speak, whereby parties in the relationship make deposits by helping, giving good advice, doing good for others, speaking into somebody's growth, reaching out to those in need, uh, maybe doing the dishes or doing the laundry, taking out the trash, uh, making a connection in business for somebody, and so on. Those are called making deposits in the emotional bank account or the relationship bank account. Make enough deposits in the relationship account, and you can be forgiven when you have to make the occasional withdrawal. You forget a birthday or an anniversary or you do something in business and somebody goes, hey, that's not cool. And you go, I apologize. But the relationship has been built and you've made enough deposits that they go, no, I know you're a good person. We're good. However, make too many withdrawals and eventually the account is overdrawn. That's what happens. And this happens in platonic relationships. It happens in romantic relationships and marriages and families, friend groups, peer groups, you name it. We all have that friend or that family member who only ever calls when they need something. And that's an example of somebody making withdrawals on the relationship account without making any deposits. I was just out with a group last night, a very, very nice couple. We were going to a concert and they were telling me about the gentleman's brother who he hasn't spoken to in 10 years because the brother's just a mooch. He lives off the aging parents. He uses their credit cards. He doesn't earn any income. He's just living off them. He is making constant withdrawals from the emotional bank account of all of, all of the people around him. It's somebody making withdrawals on the relationship account without making any deposits. And we all probably also know people who will be upset with your growth. This is a hard one to understand, but we can all probably think of examples. There are people who will be upset as you grow. They want you to stay in the crab bucket with them. And when you escape the bucket, they will say that you've changed. You're not the same you. And instead of them being happy and supportive of your growth, and where your life has taken you, they become resentful. And they will attempt to shame you into climbing back into the bucket so that you can be like them again. That will make them feel better. These, my friends, are the relationships that you must let go of if you want to grow. That's the third step. The fourth step in this empowerment ecosystem process is based on the second quote that I said I would share from Tony Robbins, and it is a simple three-word phrase. And here it is. Proximity is power. Proximity is power. Being around the kinds of people that you aspire to be like is absolutely vital. The fourth step of proximity is power is to put yourself in environments where those kinds of people will be. Go to conferences, go to meetings, join mastermind groups, go to or start a meetup group of like-minded people. Place yourself in proximity to people who are doing more than you're doing if you want to grow. It's really that simple. If you're an athlete of any kind, you will understand this one innately. 
You cannot get better as a player of any sport unless you play against people who are better than you. It's just that simple. You can't get better. I come from the martial arts world. You can't get better at martial arts unless you are training with people better than you. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and you just simply can't get better unless you're getting smashed. You have to be willing to get crushed on the jiu-jitsu mat over and over and over again. Doesn't sound fun, I know. But you've got to do that in order to grow. I've played hockey against players and teams that skate literal circles around us. Sometimes losing games to them with scores like 8 to nothing, 9 to 2, 10 to 1. Like ridiculous, embarrassing scores. And while the rest of the team, my team, is in the locker room, soaking their sorrows and complaining about how bad we played and how the goalie sucked, whatever it is, I'm sitting there replaying in my head what I saw some of those competitors do on the ice against us, and I'm kind of logging the stuff that I want to practice. I'm usually doing this throughout the whole game, like watching an embarrassment, how we're getting smoked, but then I'm watching some of the players on the other team thinking, oh, yeah, okay, I want to play like that. I want to pass like that. Oh, I see what they set up. Interesting. And had we not played against them, I would not have had my weaknesses exposed in that way. That's what being around people doing more than you does for you. You have to put your ego aside to be able to accept that kind of education. And when that happens, it either crushes your spirit and you shrink back into feeling sorry for yourself, or it energizes and motivates you to be where they are, to aspire to their level through hard work. At some point, you've got to be around people who will push you to be more than you are being right now if you want to grow. Proximity is power, my friends. I get to see it happen in our black belt coaching groups all the time. Put yourself in proximity and relationship with big thinkers and doers, and you can't help but grow. That's step four. The last step in this process is simple. It's not easy. Have you ever heard that? Something can be simple but not easy. It's a simple concept to understand. It's not always easy to implement because it is to get out of your comfort zone. You simply cannot grow when you're comfortable. I talk about this all the time on the podcast because it's one of the universal truths of growth and expansion. Growth hurts. Expansion can be uncomfortable. When you're trying to expand as an individual, when you're trying to expand your spirit and your mind and your emotions, it's uncomfortable. Most people are seeking comfort in some form or fashion. We all do. It doesn't make them bad people or somehow lesser individuals. There's some areas of our lives that we all see comfort. I like to be comfort, comfortable like the next guy. I like to be comfortable in my bed when it's time to sleep and recover. I like to be comfortable when I'm watching a movie. I like to be comfortable when it's time to be comfortable. What I'm referring to, however, is finding times in your days, your weeks, your months, and your years when you are pushing yourself out of a particular zone of comfort, whether that be in your business or your personal life. We all hit plateaus. In certain areas of our life, we hit plateaus. Certain areas of our businesses, we hit plateaus where we find ourselves, let's call it coasting. We're just coasting more or less. Sometimes we refer to, we, we refer to it as phoning it in. This person is just phoning it in. They're not actually doing anything. This is where you get by with minimal effort and minimal energy output. You aren't really growing in any particular area. You're just doing the minimum required to accomplish something. I was there for years where it's just, I'm good at what I do. I know what to do. I know how to do this in the appraisal business. And I just coasted for years. And it was okay. I was building. I was growing in other areas. But when it came to this thing, I was just coasting. I was phoning it in. 
And it works for some things in situations where uh, saving your personal resources feels like what is required for that time. You're just saving your resources. You're not expending extra resources. You're saving them up. Again, I've been there many times in my life and my business, and the only way out of it, the only reason or time that it changed was when I wanted to push myself out of that comfort zone and go to some next level. If you want to grow in any capacity and create an ecosystem of empowerment, it is imperative that you find ways to get uncomfortable on the regular. If you go back and listen to last week's episode and the week before that, I did a two-part series called the 10 Wisdom Keys, two, the last two episodes. Wisdom key number 10 is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable until you make friends with intentional discomfort, as the Stoics call it. I'm sorry, you will just have a difficult time growing. Sometimes I've heard it said, uh, you know, what what is it you want? You have to ask yourself, well, how hard are you willing to work for it? Or how much pain are you willing to endure? And while I don't like the phrasing, the grammar of those kinds of things, I understand that if something somebody isn't achieving something, it's usually found in their level of discomfort and what they are willing to go through. If they are not intentionally making themselves uncomfortable with a certain situation, they probably are going to stall out or hit a plateau. So let's do a quick recap for note-taking purposes so that you can get these all down if you haven't been taking notes. To create the empowerment ecosystem, this is an ecosystem in your life that is empowering you to be better tomorrow than you are today. You've got to do five, minimum five things. Here they are. First, define what you want to attract, what kind of person you'd like to be around. Let's get really clear on that. Number two, define who you need to become to attract those kind of people in your life. You might be able to do it temporarily, but if you don't become the type of person who can be in that environment, well, eventually they won't want you there. Define who you need to become to first attract those people and then be allowed to remain in their presence. Remember, proximity is power. Number three, you got to let go of the negative relationships. You got to drop the anchors and the crabs. The crabs will pull you down back into the bucket. The anchors will weigh you down. Find who those people are in your lives. Create some boundaries. Create some distance. Again, doesn't mean you have to break up with them, but you might have to create some distance. Number four, put yourself, proximity is power. Put yourself in environments where those kinds of people will be. Conferences, groups, meetups, masterminds, seminars. Put yourself in proximity of the type of peers you want to be around. And then number five, get outside of your comfort zone. You have to make yourself intentionally uncomfortable if you want to grow. Until next week, my friends, I'm out.